Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And this is the place where technology meets entertainment. You know, there's been a lot of discussion lately about all sorts of products from from television sets to Google Home and refrigerators and toasters and even vibrators being able to eavesdrop, record our conversations and even spy on us. We've discussed how these companies all profess to be good guys who are not doing anything wrong. It's all for our own good and to improve service and whatever. Well, here's something to consider. Now, you've probably read J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, or you've read it to your kids. It's a pretty hefty tome at 336 pages and 77,000 words. I'm sure you would agree if you sat down with your kids and you've read it through them. It's a fairly arduous task. Now, Amazon's terms and conditions for the Kindle are only 16 pages short of this. Their terms and conditions for the Kindle is 320 pages long and 73,000 words long. Now, if you read the terms and conditions for Amazon Kindle out loud, it will take you Nine hours and one minute if you don't take a break. How fucking ridiculous is that? Nine hours and one minute. I'm sure every one of you, when you go out and you spend 50 bucks on a Kindle, are going to sit there and read nine hours of bullshit. Now, the consumer lobby group Choice decided to highlight the absurdity of Amazon's legal gibberish by getting an actor to read out the entire contract. It's a task that took him nine hours to complete. And to prove how idiotic this is, the Consumer Group Choice put the entire thing up on YouTube in one-hour blocks. (laughs) Now, the reason Choice did this is because they want to highlight the fact that companies can hide their unfair terms in these giant contracts that are extremely hard to read and to understand. You know, if, if you read something that you can't understand, it's probably been written by a lawyer. No one should have to spend nine hours of their life reading a contract for a very basic product. The law should protect us from unfair contracts that are ridiculously long or written in legalese that it just shouldn't be allowed. For example, the Kindle contract contains some nasty and legally dubious clauses, like the one that demands that all complaints are resolved through arbitration in the USA. Now, Kindle sold in 170 countries. So if you're in any one of the other 169 countries, lots of luck with your lawsuit all for a product costing 50 bucks. Just what are they trying to hide? Must be something. Just imagine how much money they spent to have a 370-word contract agreement drawn up. 
Now, I'm normally a pretty trusting guy, but I don't trust these tech companies. It's not surprising that Amazon lawyers, you saw the thing about all the Amazon lawyers break down and cry at their desk because they're under so much pressure. Geez, they're all under pressure to become J.K. Rowling's, Rowling's and, and write these monstrous contracts. Time somebody did something about it. Hey, stop what you're doing and listen up. This is a really important message for every business. A really good friend of mine who's a member of Metal, which is a group that I belong to in LA, which is phenomenal, but we've talked about that before. If you want to stop leaving money on the table, you need to set your prices right. You know, most people, when they're given a choice between selling more product, cutting their overheads, or adjusting their prices, go for more sales. Well, if your prices aren't right, getting more sales aren't going to help you. So go to Atenga. Dot com That is A-T-E-N-G-A and download a free ebook called Seven Easy Steps to Successfully Increase Prices. It's a quick read and may well be the most profitable thing you've done all day. Now, my friend Per Sofas tells me that you can get your total investment in a tanga back. So let's say you've got products and you're not sure how it's priced. So you go to a tenga, you get the best advice in the world on your pricing, and Per says you can get it back, get the investment back in as little as four to six weeks. So if you could spend more money, if you could spend a little bit of money that you get back in four to six weeks for adjusting your prices and making more profit, why the hell wouldn't you do it? So go to a tenga, A-T-E-N-G-A dot com now. And uh, you'll be so thrilled that you did. Now, pressure from the once silent majority now make corporations more in tune with society than politicians are. With the advent of social media, public pressure can influence politician decisions like never before. Look at Trump Care, the Republican bill to replace Obamacare. It failed because of demonstrations and activism right across the country in every electorate driven by social media. Now, North Carolina's bathroom bill, the obscene bill limiting LGBT protections, will cost the state an absolute minimum of $5 billion in lost business. $5 billion in one little state. Now, this law excludes gender identity and sexual orientation from statewide anti-discrimination protections and requires transgender people who use restrooms corresponding to the sex on their birth certificates. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's obscene. Now, North Carolina, because of the backlash from the public, which has influenced corporations, they've suffered significant financial hits because of this absurd, narrow-minded, ignorant bill. Withdrawal of a PayPal facility that would have added 400 jobs and an estimated $2.66 billion to the state's economy. A cancelled Ringo Starr concert that deprived the town's amphitheatre of $33,000 in revenue. 
The NCAA is boycotting the states, which is costing hundreds of millions of dollars. The NAACP has initiated a national economic boycott. Lionsgate television production backed out of plans in Charlotte. The loss of dozens of conventions, sporting events and concerts. GoStar backing out of bringing 700 plus jobs to the state. Deutsche Bank scuttled a plan for 250 jobs. Adidas backed out of a 160-job development. Fox Pro hired hundreds of customer support workers in Georgia rather than in North Carolina. $100 million was lost when the 2017 NBA All-Star Game was cancelled. Lutheran Financial Managers Convention backed out of North Carolina then there's cancellations by Pearl Jam, Cirque du Soleil and others. And more than two dozen cities and states from Honolulu to Vermont have banned taxpayer-funded visits to North Carolina. Trillium Asset Management, which manages more than $2 billion for wealthy families and foundations, had dozens of clients request that their holdings exclude bonds issued by North Carolina and the South the San Francisco Symphony cancelled its proposed concerts. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Now, that's a hell of a lot for a place to lose. You know, and not only that, all those things affect every member of the population. They can't go to concerts. And, and you know, it's just think of the losses to restaurants and accommodation and transport and ticket sales and losses of, of jobs at theatres and concerts and, and parking stations and all the other things that get hurt by this idiotic law, which is ideological. Now, the blows have landed in the city's biggest cities as well as towns surrounding its flagship university. And from the mountains to the coast, there's, there's nothing that hasn't been affected. And tourism officials in several cities say the numbers they report represent only a fraction of the damage that the law's done. Of course, there are probably a whole bunch of other things going on that we just don't know about. What conventions decided to take North Carolina off the list? What location for a distribution facility took North Carolina off the list? What corporate headquarters consideration for a foreign company? There's a lot of them out there all over the planet just took North Carolina off the list. Now, then Republican Governor Pat McCrory McCrory issued a statement assuring residents it wouldn't affect North Carolina's status as one of the top states to do business in the country. A minimum of $5 billion in losses. Another politician who was patently wrong. What a surprise. Now, the likelihood of the law being repealed is very high. A victory for the, you know, this is a victory for the little people who are too often marginalised. So I, it democratises our democracy. Democracy? Um, so get out there. When you come across laws that you don't like and you think are unjust, protest against them. You know, too much, too many decisions in this country are made by ideological and political decisions, not anything to do with what's good for the population. And it's time it all stopped.
Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We've now got about 1.7 million daily subscribers. So I invite you to go to my website, which is bobpritchard.com, and enrol for my daily newsletter. I try to make it so that it takes just 30 seconds to read, but I've got to admit, it's going to take you at least a minute. And it'll keep you up to date with all of the business news that's important. Just imagine if you've read this for 30 days. Let's say you've just read it for the last 30 days. You now know all about the Hyperloop. You now now know all about the um, um, robots. You know about IP. You know about... um, you know, about a whole range of things, electric cars, um, flying cars, you know about everything. So you go out to dinner with your boss and just in general conversation, you know more about more subjects than anybody else at the table. Your boss is going to think you are a pretty smart cookie and you'll probably do very well. Or even if at the water cooler. Just imagine how impressed all your staff, all your co-workers are going to be when they um, listen to you talk and go, wow, where did this guy get all this information from? Well, you get it from the Bob Pritchard Daily Newsletter. So go to bobpritchard.com and enrol. Now, a few weeks ago, I spoke about French entrepreneur Alexandre Mars, who's using his wealth to transform philanthropy. Now, since he started his first company at the age of 17, his goal has been to encourage businesses to donate 1% of their profits to charity and to launch a new platform to encourage non-wealthy donors to give to good causes. You know, I don't know about you, but I often sit here and count my blessings. Um, I've done well in enjoying the fruits of that. And if I can help other people, And I know this is a philosophy of metal in general. If we can help other people, we will. And we'll help them in whichever way. And it doesn't have to necessarily be monetarily. It could be a whole range of ways. And more and more businesses and individuals are finding that there are very substantial rewards to be earned by donating to charities, the arts and other good causes. And of course, The major benefit, to me anyway, is feeling great by helping causes who might not otherwise have been able to survive. Now, I'm a global ambassador for kidney health, a disease that kills more people than breast or prostate cancer, drug overdoses, suicides and motor vehicle accidents combined. And I learned just how difficult it is to raise funds even for a cause as wonderful as that. As a result, once a month, I've decided to give it a go and I'll put out my first Giving Thanks newsletter in the next week. I'm looking for worthy causes. I found one, a kid that has leukemia, and uh, and I'll be appealing to everyone who enjoys my column and this radio show to give what they can to help various causes. And I don't care whether it's a dollar or a million dollars. A million dollars would be great. We'd be able to help shitloads of people. Every donation helps. Every single penny will go to the cause. There'll be absolutely no fees or any other deductions. The funds will be audited 
and I hope that you'll support this initiative. So look out for it probably within the next week. So if you know a person or an organisation that requires assistance, please email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. So it, it could be a um, it could be it could be a great startup. It could be um, a person who needs help with college or with um, just being able to eat. Just let me know, and we'll see what we can do. My guest today is a medal member, Dr. Mark Galston, who's a fantastic guy, and he's widely regarded as a people hacker. He was an FBI police hostage negotiation trainer, then advisor to attorneys in high-profile trials like the O.J. Simpson trial, and currently serves as a confidant and advisor to entrepreneurs, founders, and CEOs, and he helps them see into their future. Well, this today, it's a bit different. Today, Mark is going to be Steve Jobs coming back from the grave to describe his return to Apple in 1997 through the release of the iPhone in 2017 and Jobs thinking behind what he noticed and did. Now, this is a fascinating portrayal of Jobs and I reckon Mark really nailed it. He had me in hysterics. And he's doing this show right across the country at conferences. So have a listen right after the break when I'm back with my good friend, Mark Golston, and we're on the Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the past five years, we've given you the insights into the lives of over 320 of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked about what they do. And we tried to find out what it is that makes them tick. It's very difficult to be successful in this world. And uh, with over 95% of all businesses failing, this is an opportunity to listen to what people that are successful have done and to emulate them. Now, I think it's very difficult to find anybody who's been more successful than Steve Jobs. In, from 1997, when he returned to Apple, through to 2007, when he introduced the iPhone, 
Jobs led the greatest corporate turnaround in history. However, when he died, he failed to leave behind a scalable process that Apple could follow to keep its disruptive innovation, innovative DNA coming. Of course, that's more, you know, once you get a great invention, it gets harder and harder and harder to, to top it. So we're going to have a presentation today by Dr. Mark Galston, who will not play but will be Steve Jobs coming back from the grave to describe his return to Apple in 1997 through the release of the iPhone and Jobs thinking behind what he noticed and did. Now, this presentation is, it's really a channeling of Jobs. So he's not just playing a, a role, he's actually channeling Jobs and uh, we'll get to that in a second. But Mark is widely regarded as the people hacker. He started out as a crisis psychiatrist, specialising in suicide prevention, then a death and dying expert doing house calls to founders and CEOs and their families. Then he was an FBI police hostage negotiation trainer and then an advisor to attorneys in cases like the O.J. Simpson trial. And he currently serves as a confidant and advisor to entrepreneurs, founders and CEOs, and he helps them see into their futures. He's also a good friend of mine. He's a member of Metal that um, I talk about often on this show. So let's, let's, I'm not quite sure how this is going to work out, but let's get into it. Mark, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right around the world. Well, I'm glad to be on, and you know, let's just get into it. I mean... In 2005, I gave a commencement address at Stanford. A lot of people said it went pretty well. And I said a bunch of things. And one of the things I said was you can't connect the dots going forward. You can only connect them going backwards and hope they'll somehow connect in the future. Well, I ran out of future. But when you're cooling your heels in eternity, you got a lot of time on your hands. And I came back to connect the dots. And the reason I came back to connect the dots is I blew it. What happened is I was the DNA, you have to have at least a little bit of biology to understand what I'm about to say, but I was the DNA of Apple. Tim Cooks has done a great job, but he was the RNA. He was the person who sort of took my DNA and sort of got it through the system. And Johnny Ive was my 3D printer. He was the protein. And he could take what was in my mind and turn it into something. Why I love Johnny is because I knew what I wanted to see, but I couldn't build it. And he could build what was in my mind's eye. That's why I loved Sir Johnny Ive. And so what happened is uh, I'm back to give you a little taste of that DNA. And so when I got back to Apple in 97, I noticed three things. And this is something also you want to be. You want to be a first-class noticer. Looking, watching, and seeing, you're passive. And I was a first-class noticer. I could look at something. In fact, I'm noticing this freaking green dot because I'm supposed to stare in the fucking camera. And I'm doing the best I can and trying to be authentic. And, uh, and so when I got back, I noticed three things. What I noticed is it was in shit shape. I mean, what, uh, what Scully, Spindler, and Emilio did, boy, did they wreck it. And that's why I agreed to be sort of an advisor. Of course, I was trying to shoehorn in and sell them my next software because that wasn't selling too well. And so I agreed to be an advisor. Then I was an interim CEO because I didn't want another failure on my head. 
before I thought I could turn around. And this is what I noticed. I noticed it needed to make money. We, it needed to get money. We were two months away from bankruptcy and we needed money. Now, granted, I just become the billion dollar man because uh, what happened is I put 10 million into Pixar and I was trying to sell the software. You know, I wasn't that, I'm not an animator genius. And this guy, John Lasseter, he wears these freaking ugly, you know, ugly ass shirts. Uh, and, and he's working on this little thing called Toy Story. And in the meanwhile, uh, I'm trying to sell the software so I can recoup some of my 10 million. And lo and behold, Toy Story becomes Toy Story, the biggest money earner of an animation in history, and not one to miss out on an opportunity. I was able to sort of maneuver it into an IPO, and suddenly I'm the a billion dollar man again, and I'm back to being a big, a big, big swinging dick back in the world for all the wrong reasons. But screw it. But I'm not going to put money into Apple. I mean, I'm not going to take my money to save him from bankruptcy. So what I noticed is you got to get that money. So I call on Bill Gates, you know, my arch enemy, but good friend, Bill Gates. But one of the things that's not in Steve Jobs' vocabulary is I don't know the four words, I need your help. I don't know those words. I didn't know those words. And so I reached out to Bill and I said, Bill, you got the Justice Department on your ass. And, you know, if Apple goes away... It's going to be tough for you, and it might be a good idea to throw us some money and save us if we can, because maybe the Justice Department will back off from you. And look, we've been stealing from each other forever. That wouldn't be a bad idea, and I'd like to help you. I'd like to help you, but I can help you out of your dilemma with the Justice Department. And lo and behold, he gives me $150 million. And then I remember in Boston when I was announcing our new partner, and I show this video of Bill, and he is like a deer in the headlights of the car. He's smiling. The whole audience is booing him. So I did a really good job of turning Apple faithful into hating the guy. And, and there I was trying to say, oh, but he's our new partner, and you got to partner with people. Did not go well, but we got the $150 million. But the thing I also noticed that you have to notice is – People don't remember better. They remember different. Better, everybody's better. You go to everybody's website, it's better, 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 better. It's all bullshit. What you have to be is different. And so, uh, because we were making technology that was like other technology, but we were a failing company. We can't match, you know, the big gray of, of uh, IBM and who else was out there, or Dell. And so, uh, what I did is I relived in my head, my visit to Xerox Park. And if you're watching this, you'll see exactly what I'm going to tell you because National Geographic did a dramatization of Waz and I going to Xerox Park. And that's where they showed us the graphical user uh, interface. And when they showed it to me, uh, it was uh, probably the best thing I'd ever seen in my life. It was kind of flawed, but I saw what they could do with it with the mouse and the icons. And I knew right then and there that if we could do this, we would own the B2C market. Because uh, before that, technology was for you know nerds, engineers, geeks like Wozniak who play little pranks. The guy still plays pranks. Uh, I never laughed at them particularly. Uh, I sound like Trump. I never laughed at him. But uh, uh, wait a minute. I died before Trump came on the scene. So forget that. Delete, delete. So, uh, so what happens is what I realize, and you should take this 
to your marketing. You should, and if you do this right, you'll take it to the bank. Uh, what happened is when I saw the graphical user interface, here was the four-step formula that you need to apply. I went, whoa, W-H-O-A, which means I can't believe what I'm fucking seeing and watching. And by the way, you know you've created woe if you're speaking to a big audience because half the people that are texting to someone else, they elbow the person next to them and say, what do you say? What do you say? Or if you're saying in a conversation and someone's preoccupied with, you know, hoping to get laid that afternoon, uh, they say, what do you say? Repeat that. So you know you've created woe when they say that. And wow, is that's astonishing, amazing, unbelievable. And I'll tell you, when I saw the, uh, the mouse and I saw the icons, and I saw the fun that you could produce, uh, I, I knew uh, we were there forever. In fact, in that dramatization of what happened is I look back at Waz when I'm playing with this, and he says to me, you know, once you go there, there's no turning back. Now, Xerox didn't know what to do with this. I mean, they thought they had something, but Xerox, you know, it was kind of like they had their head up their ass, like a lot of big corporations, and they didn't know what to do with it. And we didn't really steal it. We actually gave them uh, a million dollars of Apple stock, you know, at that current price, which was next to nothing. And so that little million dollars of something has turned into, I don't know how many multiples, but it's well over 100 million. Uh, so it wasn't a bad investment for us to lift something that they didn't know how to use anyway. And then the, uh, and then the uh, hmm was I could see uh, that this was going to grab the attention of consumers. And then the yes was they didn't tell us how to do it, but Waz and I could picture how it all fit together. And we went back to Apple and we built the Macintosh. Now that brings me to another thing. One of the things that creates whoa, wow, hmm, yes is you really have to blow away people when it comes to user experience. There is now another crowded officer in the C-suite called CUX. That wasn't even around when I was alive. Chief user experience. Uh, you know, I mean, there's too many Indian chiefs in the in these offices. But you know, I'm dead. Deal with it. And and but people will say that I was the user experience king. You know that that I defined it for personal computing. And so here's what usable experience consists of. And if you do this, you will create a whoa, wow, hmm, yes. Oh, and by the way, uh, sometimes when you're marketing something, like when I'm marketing whoa, wow, hmm, yes, and people go, well, that's very interesting. Uh, when I'm marketing that and telling people how important that is, you, there's something called the rule of opposites. So sometimes when you want to hook people, and there, and there's someone's being there. Well, I didn't invent it, so it's not that good. Oh, fuck you! I'm, you know, uh, without it, you're going to fail. But the rule of opposites is what's the opposite of whoa, wow, hmm, yes? The opposite of whoa, wow, hmm, yes is nah, never mind, no thanks, pass. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, that's true. So I, you're going to learn the the uh, opposite rule applied to user experience. So first of all, whatever you're building has to be relevant, has to be relevant to what they're looking for. I mean, otherwise, it's going to be that tree that falls in the forest and doesn't make a sound. And and what I like about this lean business method is don't be paranoid and withholding about stuff, even though we did that at Apple with all our stuff, but that's another story. But get a minimal viable product out into the outside and see if anyone cares about it. So get it out there and don't be 
too worried that someone's going to steal it because no one can implement anything anymore. You know, other other than what they're they can implement what they're doing. You know, inside their company, and so uh, so it needs to be relevant. Otherwise, you're going to pile up all this inventory. You're going to have to hard sell it to people who neither need it or want it. Uh, it's it, it's going to be a big waste. So whatever your product or service is, it has to be relevant to whoever you're selling it to. The next thing is it has to be simple. Why simple? Because people are more and more specialized now. And especially guys, guys are so focused on what they're specialized in that six degrees to the left or the right, it's not a bell-shaped curve, it's a fucking hologram. Over here, six degrees, they're incompetent. Over here, they're six degrees and they're incompetent. And so what it has to be simple or else you're dragging people, especially men who can never admit they don't know what the fuck they're talking about, which is, you know, if you ask any of their wives, it's largely true. But uh, what... Uh, what you have to realize it has to be simple because people hate feeling stupid. That's the rule of opposite. The rule of opposite for relevant is irrelevant. Who cares? The next thing is it has to be reliable. If it's not reliable, people get frustrated. So people don't like something to be irrelevant, make them feel stupid or unreliable. And I know any of you, hate to say this, uh, Bill, hate to say this, uh, Michael Dell, uh, your PCs still have problems that we don't have at Apple. You know, all the virus and everything. And I know any of you who are watching or listening to this, if you own a PC, you've broken a PC by throwing it against the fucking wall because it froze on you. You lost something. You didn't retrieve something. So it's got to be reliable or else people are really going to get pissed off. The next thing it has to be is it has to be fun. The world lives... You know, lives of quiet desperation. You put a smile on their face, you're home. One of the things I learned about that was when I was at Atari. Because what happened with all these video games is we uh, we sucked the hell out of, I wouldn't use this word, but I'm using it, intimate conversations, and we replaced it with adrenaline rush. We brought video arcades into people's living rooms. We addicted their kids. The kids and their parents played all these fucking Pong and video games. That's why the video game industry will always go on because people, you know, they're, they get saturated. They get bored. So you have to do the, to the next thing. You know, and then, and then and then the next thing is going to be virtual reality, and then we're going to circle back to like the snuff films. People are actually going to kill themselves in the game because that's an adrenaline rush. You know, that's probably down the road, and they'll do it with a drone, from what I hear. Uh, but what's so what happens is it needs to be fun, but something else that other people, and I'm actually this is the thing I'm proudest of. It has to be beautiful. You know, I learned that when I was up at Reed College. And I dropped out because I hated wasting my hard, the harder money of my uh, of my adoptive parents. Uh, but I took calligraphy, and everybody who knows me knows I was sort of into Zen. Uh, uh, Nolan Bushnell, I, I manipulated him so he sends me to India. And uh, uh, and what happened is I I saw what beauty means. And the thing about beauty versus fun, fun puts a smile on your face. Beauty is awesome. Beauty takes your breath away. And I was so focused on beauty and presentation, and people on the inside know I did this, I became obsessive about the packaging of Apple products. They're all white. It doesn't look like this ugly, corrugated shit. (laughs) 
And, and the reason being is we're pre-selling the experience as soon as you buy the Apple product. I mean, you see it. It's in that white box. It's really neat. You're already excited about before you see it. You see something before you see it. So it needs to be uh, uh, beautiful like that. Uh, the the other thing that it really needs to be, and I got away with this, you know, when I was at Apple, and I died soon enough. Uh, but with all these freaking millennials, it's got to be socially redeeming. I mean, if, if Monsanto, you know, go fuck yourself with all those seeds that you're killing off. I mean, you really got to be helping the world because if you don't do it, you know, the millennials will have nothing to do with you. So those are the keys to user experience. Uh, it's to be relevant, simple, reliable, fun, beautiful, and socially redeeming. And what's what's the rule of negatives? How's this for your user experience? It's irrelevant. It's complicated. It's not reliable. It's boring. It's ugly. And you're socially fucking the world. Try and sell that to anyone with half a brain. So, so that's what user experience is. And, and you do that, you're going to create whoa, wow, hmm, yes. And then the next thing you need, so you need the money. You know, if you have a Bill Gates, see if you can maneuver him to get some money out of it. So it doesn't come out of your pocket. Um, and the second thing is create stuff that creates this whoa, wow, yes experience using the user experience formula I gave you. And the third thing is you got to get a great team. Something uh, which I've learned, and you know this, is that a great team can take a good product and build it into a huge success. You get a shitty team, you can get the best product in the world and you will fail miserably. And the key is you got to be able to incentivize your team. Now, I got away with it. I might not get away with some of my tactics, uh, but I got away with it because uh, people joined Apple to be part of the future. When people think that they're on a rocket ship to be part of the future, you can actually, you shouldn't, but you can abuse the shit out of them because they're part of something where they can tell their grandchildren, oh, I was at Apple when they did the fucking Macintosh, that sort of thing. But I don't know that you can get away with that uh, much anymore. Uh, also, um, if you have a chance, look up an interview. <laughs> I'll tell you, poor Sir Johnny. He's got post post jobs stress disorder. I feel for the guy. But if you can, look up an interview he does with Vanity Fair at some technology conference. And the guy's asking him, so what'd you learn from Steve? And poor Johnny, you look at him, he's kind of shy anyway. But you can see the guy, I, I must have traumatized the shit out of him. But, but this is also what you take away from it. Uh, now, you, now, Bob. Even though you're, you know, from the other side, you could do a better British accent than me. But I'm going to do Johnny. But, but go watch this. It, it's a keeper. I don't know. It's five minutes. And he says, you know, Steve is uh, one of the most focused people I've ever uh, run into. And he told me, Johnny, what does focus mean? And you know, and I sort of mumbled in my British way. And uh, and and what he told me, he said, focus is when you wake up one morning. And every cell in your body wants to do something. You, you, you taste it with every cell in your body. And you say no to it. That's what focuses. 
And then here's another thing. <laughs> the interviewer says, anything else you learn? And you got to watch this because Johnny, he, he's sweet. I don't do sweet, but he's sweet. If I did sweet, I'd let him in. And he says, well, there was this conversation I was having with Steve. And he said, why was I being so nice to people? And I said, well, you know, I'd like to treat people nicely. I think they deserve to be respect, uh, respected. And Steve said to me in the way only he could say it to me, he said, I don't think you're doing it to be nice. I think what you are is you're vain and you want people to like you. You're a fucking people pleaser. <laughs> and I would have thought more of you, Johnny, because the quality of the product should be second to nothing. And you're compromising the quality of the product to please people. And Johnny's there, and you can see he's remembering this, and he's saying, it was perhaps the most brutal, blunt, and brilliant thing that anyone's ever told me because it was 100% correct. So I think you're giving some uh, idea. You must be watching the fucking clock because I'm not because I'm too busy looking at this green dot and I don't know what fucking time it is. So, so clue me in, Bob. And But you can see how this is an you're okay. meeting, you know, and, and I don't want to go back to that fucking nerd Goulston. I don't want to either. He's a pain in the ass. Oh, he really is. Tell me about <laughs> it. Now, we've still got about um, 10 minutes, nearly. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Fuck it. You know, that... This this Steve Jobs thing has had an evil evolution of it. Uh, I'm back, Johnny Ives. I, I'm, I'm back. I don't know what the fuck I am. But <laughs> well, uh, what was really interesting is I've been performing at kind of off off Broadway under the radar at various settings. Although I did uh, I did perform it at a big uh, uh, conference in Chicago last week. Uh, so I'm I'm Mark. I'm Goulston with a little boldness. So it's a bold after effect from uh, from job. Ten minutes after this, I'll be fucking, you know, drinking, you know, eating a donut or something. I'll be like this. Look, ten minutes from now, I'll be wearing these fucking nerdy glasses. But uh, uh, but what happened, the evolution of this, it was very interesting. Uh, I was speaking to CEO roundtables, technology roundtables, and I was talking to them about communication. And I was getting away with it because even as Goulston, I can be relatively engaging. I got stories from hostage negotiation. And, you know, I, it was entertaining. And, but something that I realized is about decision makers. And, and Bob, you're going to laugh at this. And you may have even heard it. Uh, what I discovered is the single word that entrepreneurs and decision makers hate more than any other word in business, but they have to be politically correct, so they can't show how much they hate it. They hate the word people. They can't stand the word people. They're trying to be focused on something, and someone tries to get their attention. Inside, they're saying to themselves, where's my fucking HR? We're COO. Get this person away from me. Because what they like to focus on is they need to be able to look into the future and have some sort of strategy for getting there. And people are just appliances. And I will tell you this. Uh, uh, entrepreneurs and, and founders and CEOs, they are smacking their lips to when they can replace all people with technology. Yeah. And there's this debate. There's this debate. Oh, it'll make more jobs. I don't think so. I've been talking on the show about um, the potential of 60% unemployment within not too many years, five years, eight years, um, because 
there's an example of a, a factory a couple of weeks ago that that was announced a couple of weeks ago that they fired 90% of their staff and they increased productivity by 300 and something percent, cut their cost by about 90%, no sick leave, no holiday pay, no none of that. And um, they're booming. Why wouldn't you replace people with, with robots and AI and, and uh, machine learning now? Why the hell oh, yeah. do you need people? Yeah, people are a pain in the ass. Yeah, well, they are. And uh, uh, if you're watching this, check out a site called Working Nation. Uh, I'm a kind of an advisor to the people running that. And Working Nation is focused on the job skills gap. And really what they're pointing out, the people that are going to get hurt are the people between the ages of 30 and 60. Because if you're under 30, technology is in your DNA. Yeah. You know, relate, relating to people isn't. You know, that's why rather than having a conversation, you text the person next to you because you can't look them in the eye. And, and if you're over 60, 65, you just want to make it to the finish live you know, and, and have a roof over your head. But between 30 and 60, they're intimidated by technology. Uh, and, and I think they can learn it, but they're intimidated. And they did a documentary on the carrier aircraft, uh, the uh, air conditioning factory, uh, before Trump went back there and got them a few jobs back. And and it's a it's an amazing documentary because you look into the eyes of these people who thought they had lifetime employment, and you can see they just said, "We don't know what's going to happen to us." Yep. You know, and and so that's that's going to be a, a challenge. And so. Uh, uh, so that's that's something else I learned. So what happened? So getting back, that was see if I was Jobs, I would have stayed focused. Back as Goulston, <laughs> that that was a tangent that I didn't think I'd make it back from. But I'm coming back, and so I'm talking to these CEO groups, and then I realized I don't like persuading people, especially decision makers, about stuff they need but they don't want. They they need to get better at communication. They couldn't give a shit. Yeah, trust me on this. And so that's when I I decided. Well, if I could figure out a formula that would cause their customers, clients, investors, and talent to say, uh, I got to have it. I got to work there. I got to invest there. When you create that data, you don't have to persuade anyone to do anything. If you go to the Goulston Group, we actually turn that into our tagline, we create uh, got to have it. Right. And that's when I came up with the formula for uh, uh, Whoa, Wow, Yes. And I I was getting pretty good ratings when I did the communication thing, but then when I switched it to the to uh, creating gotta have it, I all I got was fives. I've never gotten fives from CEOs. They don't give five to anyone. Yeah, they don't even they don't even give fives to the hookers that are giving them a good time, uh, <laughs> and uh, maybe a four point nine. But uh, but but what happens is I give it. And I didn't know about Apple or Steve Jobs, and someone said to me, you know, you just figured out the secret of Apple. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, that's what people think to themselves when they're lined up outside the company. They're thinking about a new product. I got to have it. Then I give it to the next group, all fives. And they said, you just figured out the secret of Steve Jobs. And I said, what do you mean? Well, well, Steve Jobs was able to create that in people. And uh, then someone said, you got to see these videos when he visits Xerox Park. Uh, by the way, by the way, uh, uh, something else I talk about is uh, uh, that I learned as Steve Jobs. So I'll, I'll morph back into Steve Jobs because I kind of like his asshole spirit. Kind of, you know, Bob and I resonate on that wavelength better. We do sort of a, you know, an asshole mambo here with us. <laughs> but uh, uh, one uh, one of the things that I uh, also give an insight about is I I say 
don't have to be the fucking smartest person in the room because when you have to be the fucking smartest person in the room, people will defer to you. Yep. And, and, and they'll go, aha, I get it. And the reason they're saying, aha, I get it is because they don't want to tell you they don't get it because you look at them with contempt. And one of the problems I did as, uh, when I was there and they didn't get my DNA is I had to be the smartest person in the room. Now, that said, I relied on smart people, but the dots were connected in my head. Each of them did their specific thing excellently. Yeah. But, but when the dots are connected in your head and you go away – it's not sustainable. I think I think uh, Bezos might be able to do it because he's he's pretty good with these systems he's got. Sure but is. With, but with Elon Musk, you know, I don't know. He goes away. I don't know what happens to a, a Tesla. I don't know what happens to space, uh, SpaceX because, and I know people defer to him. And so, well, there's no uh, question he's bloody smart. Yeah, he's bloody smart. And he's got a great he vision. I got that. But if he doesn't inject it into uh, his company, it won't be sustainable. So wh- one one thing is, here's how you find the visionary in your company. You don't have to be the visionary to do it. What visionaries have uh, in common, and this is, I guess, what I have. When I look back, you know, what, what the hell was this visionary thing, is I had a joy of discovery. I loved the unknown. The unknown didn't intimidate me. I loved it. Uh, whereas most people are afraid of the unknown. They want to prematurely put stuff into buckets where they feel competent. That is not a visionary. That is a bean counter. Uh, don't put them uh, in front of people you uh, want to inspire and lift up because you know the future. But one of the other things that I learned is that it's not enough to be able to, to have that joy of discovery. You need to be able to bring it back to a focus. Yeah. Because otherwise, you'll be like one of these CEO entrepreneur types who's, sh- who's chasing shiny objects all the time. And then you know, people are saying, you know, too bad. He's smart. He's this, but he can't get shit done. So it, it's like driving a Porsche. You know, you accelerate and then you downshift. And when you downshift, you get traction. You pull the road into you. And so look for those people in your company who have the joy of discovery, but they don't keep accelerating. They're able to downshift, grab the road, and that could be your future visionary. Mark, we are out of time, um, but that was brilliant. I loved it. And, um, you know, Jobs was brutal, and I think it captured him perfectly. So thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. That was that was really great. I'll see you on Saturday morning at Metal. And if you want to know more about Mark Galston, go to Mark Galston, G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N dot com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. And we are the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. 
And this week we're broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles where technology meets entertainment. I love that guy. Mark is terrific and uh, he's unbelievably funny. And yet when you meet him, he's a bit nerdy. But he's, he's, he's a nerd with a sensational sense of humour. Are you in retail? Are you doing really well or are you just treading water just waiting to go broke? Now, even if you're not in retail, there's a lesson here for everyone. If you are a retailer, are you ready for the huge disruptive changes that are heading your way? Or are you one of the tens of millions of retailers who just bury your head, say, I don't understand what's going on and hope it all goes away. It's it. <coughs> Excuse me. It's interesting that 70% of retail decision makers globally say that they're ready to adopt the Internet of Things to improve customer experiences. And 73% of retailers rate managing big data as important or business critical to their operations. So even though 73% of retailers say that, I reckon there's about 10% who understand what it is and how to use it. 78% of retailers say it's business critical to integrate e-commerce and in-store experiences. So an omni-channel experience is delivered to every customer. Again, they say that. It's like every retailer says, I realize that I've got to deliver an experience in store. When was the last time you got an experience in store? I can't, I can't remember the last time. Now, 87% of retailers will deploy mobile point-of-sale devices within two years, enabling them to scan and accept credit or debit payments anywhere in the store. 90% of retailers will implement buy online, pick up in store in a year, you know, within a year or two. I'm involved with a company that's installing thousands of beacons in retail stores and in buses and on public transport. And... Uh, it's the way of the future. I mean, it, you can really drive business. Now, those results that I just mentioned are from Zebra 2017 Retail Vision Study, and it was released a couple of weeks ago. The study includes interviews with 1,700 retail division makers from North America, Latin America, Asia Pacific, Europe, and the Middle East, representing a wide spectrum of retail segments, including specialty stores, department stores, apparel merchants, supermarkets, electronics, home improvement, drugstore, and so on. Now, key insights from the study include by 2021, it's only three years' time really, retailers are planning investments in Internet of Things, 70% so they are, machine learning and cognitive computing, 68% say they are, and automation, 57% stay, say they are. I'd love to be able to believe them. Now, orchestrating these diverse technologies to provide a more responsive, real-time customer experience, well, that's the goal that retailers say they want as quickly as possible. Now, relying on the IoT to bring greater visibility into supply chain operations to alleviate out of stock and optimise selections based on customer preferences, well, that, everybody says that's a goal as well. Now, machine learning's predictive strengths as a technology are being used to solve supply chain constraint, 
better personalised customer experiences and improve inventory management. And that will go ahead in leaps and bounds. Automation's got a wide variety of uses in retail, including inventory tracking, and this will enable higher levels of customer service. Thank God for that and manage inventory levels much more effectively. 70% of retail decision makers globally are ready to adopt the IoT to improve customer experiences. So by 2021, nearly 79% of retailers will be able to customise the store visit for customers as a majority of them will know when a specific customer is in the store, what they usually buy, etc. And retailers are predicted in to pilot micro-locating technologies in the next couple of years and adopt them in their main retail operations. So there's going to be some major changes. So stop, time to stop and listen up again. This is a very important message for every business from Atenga, A-T-E-N-G-A.com. If you um, the best way to make yourself more profitable is to make sure that your products are priced correctly. You know, a small increase in your margin in price can make a huge difference to your profitability. So go to atenga.com, A-T-E-N-G-A.com, and download a free ebook called Seven Easy Steps to Successfully Increase Your Prices. It will really change your business. Now, my friend, Per Sofas from Metal can get you your total investment in a Tenga back in as little as four to six weeks. So examine your pricing, ensure that your pricing is perfect for your product and your market, increase your margins and get your investment back in just four to six weeks. So go to atenga.com now and uh, Get in touch with Per. He's a great guy and he will definitely help you. I invite you also to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll for my daily newsletter. It takes 30 seconds to a minute to read and it will keep you up to date with all the business news that's important. And don't forget, I'm going to have a shot at um, a giving, probably a giving Tuesday or give thanks Tuesday where we can raise money to help people that are less fortunate or people that need help. So if you need, if you know anybody out there that needs help, that's really struggling, it could be paying for education, it could be paying bills, could be paying the rent, could be medical expenses, could be anything, let me know. Get in touch, bob at bobpritchard.com and we'll see what we can do. In the meanwhile, remember, If you're not living on the edge, you are taking up too much space. Get out of the road and let somebody who wants to achieve get past. You know, it's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Next week, we'll be back broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard, where technology meets entertainment, and I hope that you can join me again. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.